Welcome to another episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I'm joined by Professor Wagstaff, Venomous Vinny. Good to be with you again, folks, as we uh, head into familiar territory. Uh, our format that we started within the last year or so uh, that we like to call Monsterpiece Theater. And so what we have done is we have picked out some films that maybe we've touched on a little bit in the past, but stuff that probably wouldn't get picked for a mash. Uh, may It doesn't fall into franchise territory, and they're films that are very popular in the genre. And so tonight, we are discussing Dead Alive, also known as Brain Dead in other countries, and John Carpenter's the fog. Oh yeah. So you can do a fog horn for that one, just not the air horn. <laughs> I'm gonna do a fog horn leg horn. <laughs> Boy, I say, I say, I say, I say. All right. So we have decided that we're gonna start with Dead Alive. Professor, dates and details. Uh, yes, Dead Alive, aka Brain Dead, was released in 1992. This is a film out of New Zealand, directed by Peter Jackson, long before. His uh, Lord of the Rings fame. Peter Jackson. I thought I recognized that name. That sounds familiar. Yes. Do anything else? Yeah. Peter Jackson. Lord of the Rings. Yes. (laughs) King Kong. (laughs) Frighteners. Yep. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, not a, not a lot of cast here for Americans to to latch on to. Yeah, not not much. Not an indictment of their performance, just not names that are going to start... Anything for but listening. <clears throat> Have you guys seen this one before? Um, it had been actually quite a while for me. Um, probably at least 10 years. I, I didn't realize it had been that long until I started up and I thought, I barely remember any. Oh, yeah. Think of this. Absolutely. First time viewing. Really? Yes. Nice. Really? Yep. So I chose this one and only just because A, Peter Jackson directed it and B, it's a cult classic. I mean, it's it's one that a lot of people talk about. Um, I definitely recognize the poster. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember that cover art from being a kid. Um, but it, I don't know. It's hard to explain because it has a following, but it's not every. It's not. It's not making everybody's top twenty. Right. No. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it. I don't think it's ever clicked in a full on way. But you're right. It. It definitely has some pretty dedicated fans. Yeah. And I think primarily just because when it came out, where it came from, it was pretty bonkers. I mean, it's still very bonkers. Mm-hmm. But I think that's what gave it its fame. And then, of course, what Peter Jackson would go on to do. And also <clears throat> before, like, just some of the other bonkers stuff he did with, like, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles. Like, he really developed a whole kind of community of fans that are really devoted to some of that earlier just crazy shit he made. Yeah. And, I mean, this gets pretty unhinged itself. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So another reason I picked this, I 
This is another story going back in time to when I uh, graduated college, moved to Louisville, Kentucky, and it would be a near weekly uh, phone call to the professor saying, hey, I'm looking over some of these used films at my local uh, DVD shop, my local used DVD shop. What should I grab? Oh, I heard a lot about this one. I've heard about that one. And so this is one that I picked up during that time. And um, <clears throat> it's funny because my wife Carrie and I were talking about this in that this viewing kind of brought me back around in that the first time I watched it, I was like, oh my gosh, that's nuts, and I love it. Then like the second and third time I watched it, I started to like it a little less, but let's say this is my fourth or fifth viewing. It's it's kind of a, okay, it's not as bad as I was afraid it was going to be when I sat down to watch it this time. That's fair. Um <clears throat> I think uh, this has a lot of the kind of zaniness, of, like of like Evil Dead and Sam Raimi, mm-hmm. um, where we really lean heavily into um, extreme gore, but also slapstick. It struck comedy. me as that and Hen and Lauder. Yeah, I can see like that. a hybrid of Sam Raimi and Hen and Lauder. Sure, and and so that's not going to be appealing to some people. Right. So that's why I think it's never been full blown a massive movie, but. Mm-hmm. There's enough there um, for it to have the cult following. It does. It. Plus, I, I don't. Know, I think maybe the remake of Evil Dead dethroned this, but for many years this was the goriest movie like, ever made. Highest body count. Yeah, with the amounts of blood is, yeah. that they used. In yeah, maybe the not so much body count, but yeah, blood is just. I mean, it's it's insane. And yeah. so I think only maybe when they rained blood in the remake. Of Evil Dead, did it have competition? Maybe, but that's long what was attached to this that kind of made it a, a badge of honor for people to enjoy with it is that they just go apeshit <laughs> with the gore, and yeah, the, the goop, yeah. And goop is a correct word. There is some really nasty goopy <laughs> moments in this that I think are what kind of grossed me out to an extent the last couple times I watched it, where I was like, you know, I don't think I'm going to be watching this as much anymore. Yeah, but again, this time around, I didn't. I wasn't as turned off by it as I thought I was going to be. So, a basic setup here. We open up on Skull Island in 1957. Nice nod there. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got a New Zealand zoo official trying to, to capture this monkey. He's being chased by this tribe. And they you, you start to kind of realize that they're not worried about the, the, the people being there as much as they don't want that monkey to leave the island. They keep calling it Zingaya. And um, so, of course, it finds its way to a zoo in New Zealand uh, where we're introduced to Bakita and her kind of gypsy family uh, doing some kind of... That is a slur, sir. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of doing some fortune telling and and, and tarot card reading there and then uh, strolls into their family shop is is the son, which I can't remember his name, and and he just has this awful mother that he lives with. And so he's coming in to place an order, and then Makita is going to deliver their order to the house. And um, it's this idea that evidently he was the one that her mother in her tarot card reading has determined that she's going to fall in love with this certain guy. And when she sees this young man, she's determined that that is the guy from the tarot cards. And so she is actively pursuing him you can tell that he is a very awkward homebody kind of guy but then they decide that they're going to take a date to the zoo any any interjection at this point 
No. Uh, other than when they're leaving the island and the guy's trying to take, the one of the guys gets murdered. Uh-huh. The arms getting chopped off looks fantastic. <laughs> Straight like, up. Like, it looks really good. Cannibal Holocaust yeah. style. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, because it gets right to it early on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and what's funny, too, is we were talking about how bonkers it is. It almost... And I think in my brain, I had started to think, oh, my God, is this like kind of borderline a trauma movie? But it's so much better made. It's oh, like, yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's everything that a trauma movie wishes it could be. That's fair. I think in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, you just landed on some people's kill list. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, trauma nerds. Um, he... Uh, so we, we find out, too, that while they're on this zoo date, that he gives this backstory that his dad drowned while trying to save him. And that's kind of the, the guilt that he carries with having to take care of his mother now. Mom uh, is spying on them on their date. And Mom, believe it or not, gets bitten by this cursed monkey from this island, from Skull Island. This rat monkey. This rat monkey. And that now we start getting nasty. Uh, they're at the zoo, right? Uh-huh. And they they kill this monkey. Uncle Forey, Forrest J. Ackerman, is in a, in that scene. Oh, really? I love all his cameos and movies. Yep. Nice. Nice. So, uh, Mom's got this injury. She's got this nasty pus coming out of her. And her cheek is starting to fall off. And Mom is just terrified. Because she has been chosen to be the leader of like this home and garden club in the, the city that they live in. And now these people from the home and garden club are coming over and she's falling apart. The house isn't cleaned Sun up. Sun tries to glue her skin back on on her cheek. <laughs> yeah, that's where we're at, folks. So if you know, you need to understand when we said it's it's goopy <laughs> This is the kind of stuff we're talking about. And when I said it's Hennenlotter, there's stop motion mm, yeah. with that rat monkey as well. Like, you're getting into, like, that basket case, mixing genres. Somehow it works, and but that's what gives me that Hennenlotter flavor to it. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but it makes sense. Yeah, I agree. And then, like... This might be the grossest scene for me, is when they're serving custard for dessert. Oh, oh yeah. And... Puss squirts off of the mother's shit is disgusting arm. Then her ear does her ear fall on the custard too, or does her ear just fall? I off? specifically remember the pus. Yeah, I just yeah. remember the pus. <laughs> Never forget the pus. <laughs> squirts it. Yeah, my note is barf in capital and my letters. Man eats a spoonful right as it goes in. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> it's so <laughs> gross. Uh, yeah. So, mom dies. Okay, uh, and then she kills the nurse, um, and then they take her to the funeral home. And as they're trying to put embalming fluid in mother, she is squirting embalming fluid everywhere, and not in a hot way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so then, uh, you know, we get through this kind of funeral. His kind of herky jerky uncle comes into town, who's really. Oh, Don't forget he him. smashes through the wall, the glass, with his mother's body into the middle of the funeral. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she, she's undead, obviously, at this point. That's a mood killer. So they do end up burying mother 
Um, and they're now we're at a nighttime scene in the cemetery, and this these punk rockers are hanging out in the cemetery, if you can imagine that. <laughs> and one of them goes to piss on Mother's grave, and Mother reaches out and grabs his wiener. Street trash. <laughs> street trash or straight trash? What did you say? <laughs> and then now the zombies all start turning into punks. So then the priest shows up because he's watching over the cemetery and we get my favorite line of the, the film. I know where you're going to say it. I kick ass for the Lord. <laughs> and Do you, you have like a stole with that stitched into I it? I need it. Yeah. Do you, you guys want to get me something for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the priest starts kicking everybody's ass kung fu style. Of course. Fighting well, all these, these Nazi punks. Uh, As you will. And then I think the priest gets bitten at that point. Because they all start... He gets impaled, doesn't he? Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. On and the so headstone. He becomes a zombie. Yep. I don't get the logic, but okay, yeah. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> it's all coming together, right? Sure. And so now we've got this dear son trying to take care of all these zombies. And now his house... He's got this long dinner table, and it's full of mother, priest, the nurse, the punk zombies, and he's all trying to take care of them and feed them. And then the priest, the dead priest, and the dead nurse start having sex. Yep. They make a zombie baby. Yep. And again, Hen and Lauder. <laughs> yes, again, very Hen and Lauder in uh, that you've uh, got this baby that is portrayed clearly by a little person. In a costume and scenes. But then in other scenes is a puppet. Yeah. Like, weird as fuck. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then they take this zombie baby to the park. Zombie baby looking thing. <laughs> zombie baby looking thing. And uh, they've got it in a, a stroller, and the stroller gets away, and all sorts of uh, slapstick hijinks ensue there. Um, and then the scummy uncle comes back to the house and, and blackmails the son. Yeah, he, he, I'll turn you in for all these undead things you've got. Yeah, if you don't give me the house and the fortune. Yep. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Be a good band name, Scummy Uncle. <laughs> Scummy Uncle. And so once he now has done this blackmailing, he throws a party in the house, and this is where we build up to our insane third act. Yes. Anything else to say at this point? No. If I'm if I'm being honest, this movie is just kind of hanging in there. And for the third act, the third act is is for the price of admission. Yeah, that, when when that shit sets off, that's what everybody remembers. Hon- yeah, part. honestly, it's all pretty forgettable. Yeah, until the third. It's act. not bad. It's no. just it's whatever. Yeah, it's just it's servicing to get to the crazy. Right, and the whole time you're watching it, if you've heard people mark out about it, you're like, what? Like this is what people? This is it? Yeah. But so then you get to the third act. They go to bury a zombie in the basement. That zombie comes back, and then all the zombies come back, and they are going to... Oh, they're trying to bury all the zombies in the basement, right? And then the zombies come back, and they proceed to massacre everybody at the party. And we get the most famous uh, scenes. One of my favorite bits is when there's all that blood on the floor, and he's trying to run, and it's just like a he's cartoon. running in place. Running in place because <laughs> he can't get anywhere because of the blood. I always think that's pretty good. I, my note says lots of goo. But then he says, you know what? Party's over. And he gets the lawnmower, cranks that bad boy up, 
And that's what it's all about. And the man in the back yelled, everyone attack. And <laughs> yeah. it turned into a ballroom blitz. It, it is so awesome. <laughs> like, once it gets going, there's no other way to put it. I mean, like, and I, uh, through the first hour watching it uh, for this episode, I was just like, man, I, I sure celebrated this movie. I'm kind of bored. Like, I'm not yeah. mad. It's entertaining enough. The comedy's there, but... Huh, and I was like, but I knew what was coming, and then at the minute that started, I was like, oh yeah, that's why this is fun. Yeah, I mean, you literally, even the most old, callous seasoned viewer turns into a 10-year-old when that mower <laughs> gets going. Oh man, the visuals of that thing are just so much fun. Vinny, I, I'd be curious to hear from, uh, did you have kind of the same experience we were saying, the first two acts? Oh kinda? yeah, like I'm I'm watching it, and I'm just like... <clears throat> Okay, you know, just and again, kind of bored with it, fidgety. Yeah, like oh, never seen it. Uh, why I, I don't get I don't get the allure. Um, but I always, it's always a little bit different for me when it's something that was made in another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, sensibilities are sometimes different, uh, so I kind of always give that kind of a benefit of the doubt. And then when this, well, the gross out shit was just was, that got my attention throughout. But then, uh, yeah, when he has this mower with the blade basically like in front of his chest or whatever spinning and all the shit starts hitting it and all, I was like, oh, well, okay, where are we going now? And then like that cartoony trying to run in place stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So much fun. Definitely switches gears. This is why it's a household name in horror community. And the I, I just want to point out to uh, the, the one point when the guy is going uh, vertically down into the mower <laughs> it looks like a muppet almost is one of my favorite gore visuals of in all of horror movies that's <laughs> yeah. always what i think of when i think of the movie is him walking through there with the mower but also the guy just shaking him just being chewed up by it going down into it oh it's so much fun oh yeah oh yeah so then we go from that fun stuff to a weird giant zombie <laughs> mom oh you mean uh my note this is giant monster titties <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah well yeah uh, yeah, and so the, 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 the giant zombie mom who is nude is, uh, and when we say giant, I mean like King Kong. Yeah, with titties with nipples. <laughs> Titty nipples. That will be the title of this episode. <laughs> that's, that's as awkward as when we talked about that Jim Henson puppet in Dark Crystal that had nipples. <laughs> yeah, Algra. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and then she's reading him the riot act for being a bad son. And I don't remember how, <laughs> but they figured out how to blow her up. And uh, and then the son and, and Bakita live happily ever after. As one does. It's a good time. Yeah. it's And it's one of those things where it's really kind of hard to sell with deep conversation on this. Because yeah. this movie is pretty much surface value. Peter yeah. Jackson is not trying to tell like three dueling metaphors and narratives within this this is just a let's develop the characters with some humor and then go ape shit i can see myself watching this again but it being background while i'm doing something else sure this is i think would be great to have something playing while you're cleaning house or something like yeah. that yeah that's kind of the the fodder it is but for ser- but for serious fans, especially if you've listened to this show for hundreds of episodes at this point, if you haven't seen this, you need to check it off. The this list. needs to be on your pedigree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Without sure. Question. Um, and it's <clears throat> I don't. I've got it on DVD. Where were you able to watch it, Vinny? Well, a soon to be gone service. 
of Netflix by mail. Mm. Okay. It will be gone by the end of the month. I've got an old DVD of it. I've had for years. Yeah, same here. And I just wondered, I, I just, I can't imagine it's that accessible. Yeah, it's... It's not something you're That's just, the only way I was able to get a hold of it was yeah. that way without spending any money on it. Sure, any more money. Sure. So, well, look, seek it out if you if you feel if you feel like you are a serious horror fan and you have not seen it. Keep an eye on your bootleg tables at your uh, yeah. conventions. Yeah. yeah, if you're not a poser, check it out. <laughs> <laughs> just him. kidding. Okay, well, uh, let's get into a film that actually does a <laughs> a better job of weaving a story. Sure. Uh, the Fog, 1980, directed by John Carpenter, uh, written by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, uh, Dean Cundy, who went on to be a pretty massive success with cinematography, shot this, edited by Tommy Lee Wallace, starring Adrian Barbeau, Jamie Lee Curtis, Tom Atkins, Hal Holbrook, Janet Leigh. Um, it's important to point out this is set around April 21st, so if you already love the movie or fall in love with it, you can celebrate the Fog Day Nice every year. Um, thoughts on this movie initially? History with it? I think I bought this one around that same era that I bought Brain Dead when I was really uh, padding my collection. And um, it's. I like this movie. It's not one of my favorites, but I like this movie a lot. I discovered this during the pandemic, actually. Mm, okay. I hadn't seen it until then. And immediately fell in love with it. Immediately. Uh, I have a closet like Grizz has got over there. What do you call that? Like the, the Venetian blind looking doors on yeah. them, whatever. Uh, watching that movie made me buy a green light bulb to put in that. Nice. Uh, anytime it's foggy outside, if I don't put it in, it crosses my mind that, man, I might watch the fog tonight. I don't know what it is about the movie. And I, I own it on Blu-ray. I, I bought it. Very quickly after I saw I was like, well, I have to own that now. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not sure exactly what it is about it that hits so well with me. I, but I've said before, there's a lot of John Carpenter that, that hits for me. And as a kid, I was focused on who the star of the movie was. Uh, the credits didn't mean shit to me. It was whose face I saw. So becoming older and and connecting, oh, that's the same director who directed this and directed this and directed this, it kind of makes sense because I love a lot of John Carpenter shit and I own a lot of his stuff on Blu-ray. But it's a great cast. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Like, And obviously it's going to look good with Dean Cundy. Like, I mean, what else? This is an all-star. <laughs> like, all-star names on this. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a, I love it. I think it's great. Yeah, it's the same well-rounded talent that brought you Halloween, but now he's got some money. Yes. Um, not full-blown, but he's got some money. And, and, and his players are more experienced. Yes. And so you, you we're going to kind of lean into traditional storytelling, um, you know, with with elements of, you know, a ghost story and revenge and the small coastal town, which I've said before on the show, I always enjoy it was the yeah. stuff like Dead and Buried and... It's always fun. So you're going to live in one of these towns, maybe before you die. Um, so this is set in Antonio Bay, um, and this is right on the eve of the hundred year anniversary of the founding of this little community. Uh, we open the movie with John Houseman, who dates back to you know forty 
50 years before in movies, um, both behind the camera and in front of it. And he's telling um, ghost stories with the kids there. It's just such a great opening with the way they shoot America's it. America's favorite old fart. Yeah. He's got uh, five minutes time for one more story to keep us warm. And it's just the classic kind of way to open a movie like this. Um, and so we kind of slowly get introduced to some people within the community on this first night, because it's, as they point out, right before midnight. Uh, we go to a church there um, where we've got John Carpenter popping up as uh, the guy, the caretaker for the place, flipping out the lights. And, um, we hey, also, Father, do you think I could get paid? Yep. And we've got uh, Hal Holbrook there who, um, at the same time, also discovers a diary where we start to uncover some of the old story of his grandfather. And we'll get to that in a minute. But uh, we also bounce over to Stevie, the local DJ, played by Adrian Barbeau, which is um, a dated but fun character. I I can't imagine too many people owning their um, own radio station and thriving in Antonio Bay with that. But (laughs) that's okay. It's great for for storytelling and and how they approach it. prime Adrian Barbeau. Oh, yeah. Like, this this might be... Not to be shallow, but the hottest that that she's ever been. Oh yeah, she's she's an attractive lady, too. but she she is very very hot in this movie. And so, um, within uh, you know, I mentioned how Holbrook and uncovering that diary because doesn't like a piece of the wall come out? Yes, because there's weird occurrences that are immediately starting in the community that mm-hmm. we're seeing. We've got stuff going on with the clocks, the lights, <clears> phones <throat> ringing, a gas pump flies out and starts dumping gas on the windows ground. breaking. Yeah. And so um, we take a look at his uh, grandfather's diary where a, cent- a century ago, hence the 100-year anniversary, six founders of Antonio Bay uh, deliberately wrecked the boat, the Elizabeth Dane, um, to keep a rich leper named Blake uh, from establish- establishing a colony nearby for other lepers. Um, they also robbed the gold from the ship and established Antonio Bay. So quickly, you know where this movie's headed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, at the same time, you also have Tom Atkins. Uh, his character's name is Nick Castle. Fun little wink and nod there for the guy who was involved with uh, all kinds of stuff with Carpenter and played Michael Myers in that first one. Uh, he picks up Jamie Lee Curtis uh, and immediately beds her like Tom Atkins does. Before they know each other's names. Yeah. Um, and we also show an attack uh, on a boat crew nearby, uh, which is already setting the tone for how effective they kind of approach uh, what's going on there. Which was scary as shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And again, isolated, out on the water, no one else around, tight quarters. Yeah. And uh, it's important to point out, too, this is one of Carpenter's best scores. Yes. It is so good because it's got some of kind of like the stuff that was popular in the 70s, like you have the tubular bells keys with the exorcist and kind of these traditional ominous piano tunes but you also have some of what he would really nail down in the 80s with his kind of pulsating scores that oh yeah the soundtrack's fantastic and so you kind of blend those two and it's very <laughs> effective for for telling uh you know basically a ghost story so we kind of uh, put put out the blueprint for the community and, and what has transpired here and and what where it's headed uh but the thing I like is that this isn't all contained. It's just that first night we get to spend a day in Antonio Bay. Um, we've got Janet Lee driving around, um, with, um, or names escaping me right now. Nancy Loomis, that she's from, uh, plays Annie and Halloween. Mm-hmm. They're cruising around getting ready for the celebration there in town. Um, and you kind of just have 
that whole environment of a small community getting ready to celebrate, which is great, you know, for kind of filler for the and movie. I, and I love the night before you get the priest drinking his fill, saying this celebration is a travesty. We're honoring murderers. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's not a secret to everybody. Sure. Thoughts initially? I don't want to keep babbling on too long with the plot. <clears throat> if you guys want to say anything about that. No, I, just, I think the mood is there from the beginning. Yeah. You know, a clock strikes midnight, <clears throat> weird shit starts happening all around town. And so it's not like it happens to one person and that person's trying to convince other people. Everyone has witnessed something fucking weird go on the night before. Yeah. That there's trepidation about this celebration. There's, yeah, the power cuts out at one point. Yeah. Just odd things are happening. And one of the, the standouts, too, especially during the day, is the piece of driftwood that the kid picks up, which is actually piece of the Well, the kid boat. originally saw Something a gold coin. Yeah, sure. And went to go grab it, but when he grabbed it, it was a piece of wood with the name of that ship. Took it home to his mom, Stevie, who has it in the, the lighthouse radio tower, and that's a cool scene mm-hmm. where all of a sudden water starts just starts coming bubbling out of, out of this piece of wood. Shorts out the equipment. And- Not only shorts out the equipment, but then starts transmitting through the equipment. Pretty cool stuff. Creepy as fuck. Uh, that shot of her walking to the lighthouse radio station, that insane long shot mm-hmm. with all the stairs is such a cool shot. Yeah, it is. It really kind of sets the tone for later, too, and like reminding viewers she is out here Yeah, on her own. And I love that she's driving a Volkswagen thing. I always appreciate quirky cars when they <laughs> pop up in movies. Sure. Um, yeah, with this though, I mean, they basically lay this all out. We spend more time with the characters through the day, and every, it, you know what's coming. And something that I noticed with this viewing that I hadn't really thought about before is how well Carpenter is at building the suspense and going through the motions. So, like in Halloween, that movie starts out in daytime for the mo- other than the opening stuff. Mm-hmm. But once we get to the main day where we spend time with it, it's a slow crawl with it just getting darker and darker and darker until the carnage at night. Mm -hmm. That's the same thing with this. It's like, okay, now we reset to a new day and we know what's coming. We're closing in on it. And so, um, with the broadcast, six must die, you know, it's, it's putting that out there. And I mean, it's really pretty simple from here on out. The fog rolls in and it's creepy as shit. Well, you, you also had Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis's characters go to the priest. Yes. Because they want him to do the benediction at this 100-year celebration. And he says... <laughs> That's when he says the yeah, line. he's like, yes. nah. And he shows them the journal that he found from his grandfather and what had actually happened. And yes, we're, we're, we're celebrating murderers here. Yeah. And like the mayor in uh, Jaws, Janet Lee's like, no, we got to do this. <laughs> we got to have the celebration. And then uh, Stevie sees shit, the fog start rolling in and is trying, over the broadcasts, trying to get a hold of the sheriff, all this other shit. Shit really starts to pop off because the fog is making it inland now. Oh, because we glossed over the fact that uh, Tom Atkins finds the boat that was out there. Mm -hmm. They bring him back in and the body... The one yeah. body they recover pops up at the and morgue. when he gets at the morgue, he's like, "Look, I've pulled bodies out before. I saw this guy the other day. This body 
has all the markings of being underwater for weeks. He drowned. Yeah. Like, no, you. we saw him yesterday. And the body gets up and tries to attack Jamie Lee Curtis. So it's like, you, there's none of this, like, Dr. Loomis running around, nobody believes what he's saying. Right. All of everybody is very quickly on board that oh shit this is really happening. We also kind of failed to mention that Jamie Lee Curtis is kind of this affluent hitchhiker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she th- that's the vibe, right? Like she's she's not a poor hitchhiker. Like she's just right. like a rich kid right. who's trying to see the country. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean that's we just <clears throat> spend the day kind of filling in some of these gaps, um, and then and then the ship they, pops off. Then they make it to the shore. Yeah. And. Um, the way that they shoot, and I think that's the key to this movie is Cundy. The way Cundy shoots this movie, the way that they do some of the trick photography with rolling it in and rolling it out, and it, it is it is one of the most visually effective horror movies I've ever watched. And they they hide their monster. Yep. They don't give you the only reason you get any is the studio. He didn't want it. He didn't want anything. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene of the entire movie. Is so, and we, I got to mention too, we've got Stevie piecing this together, and she's starting to call it out over the radio, and she's trying to hopefully reach someone to go save her son because the fog has taken down her communication phone lines; it's all screwed up, and so she is trying, uh, hopefully through the, the airwaves, to reach them and say like, "Stay out of it!" Like she's trying to warn them, and then we go to her kid with the babysitter. And the knocking at the door. You see that fog just slowly billow up and just kind of curl up against the door and the windows. And it's there. And then you just hear the knocking. It's a scary, I think it's the scariest scene of the movie. Yeah. It's so good. Um, and we kind of have it just work its way through the community. And the, the, the is there any highlights with uh, where it does that you guys want to mention? Well, we just, found? Uh, the fact that to, when we move it along is that Tom Atkins manages to save her kid. And then everybody more or less ends up back at the church. Yeah. And that's the message she's trying to get out, right? Like, get yes, to the, go, get to the go there. <clears throat> yeah. Avoid this road and everybody just kind of ends up at the church and so all roads lead there including with the fog. Any thoughts on uh, our solution? <sighs> um, not at the moment, no. So they get a, a large gold cross out of the cavity there at the church. Yeah, because um, the because the the preacher knows what happened to the gold. Right, it was melted down and turned into a big ass heavy cross. Yep. Um, and and if we just give it to them, they'll be fine. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you basically have this very intense showdown as they arrive there, and um, that is offered up, and fog rolls out. But there are supposed to be six. Wow. Father Malone is the sixth. They've only been five, yep. yep. So he is decapitated, and so they've they've got their six there, but the visuals in the church are, are pretty potent, um, both from the long shots as the fog arrives in and they're kind of in it, but then the showdown and the visuals with, with him interacting. That light inside the fog. Yeah. And the way that like the, the gold cross is like glowing yeah. yes. is pretty cool. It's fantastic. Um, any other thoughts? I this to me this is, uh, you know, obviously Halloween and the Thing are two of my favorite movies of all time. But 
This is in my like top twenty five. This one. Oh yeah, it's, it's very it. good. This it's is very one, good. This is another one I was allowed to see a little bit earlier than some others because it wasn't gratuitous with, right. with a lot of stuff. Yep. Um, I've always found it spooky. Yeah, I, there's nothing wrong with this movie. I, I just there's just I don't know why it's it never crests um, becoming a movie that I love. It's a movie that I really enjoy. I think mainly for a lot of people because the story doesn't ever flesh out what people want, which is a little bit more the the, the ghost story instead mm-hmm. of just learning about it briefly and passing with some of that. I yeah. feel like if they they went a little bit more into that. That would scratch the itch, and I think right. I think that's a good point. I think that the 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 story hits a crescendo, but maybe the backstory never gets a crescendo. Yeah, I agree. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, which for me isn't a deal breaker. I I I still find it quite effective, but I, I totally understand where it doesn't quite hit for some people with with the overall story. I'm gonna assume that the remake is doo doo. It is one of the worst remakes ever. Yeah. It's abysmal. Um, I want to point out too that the um, church in this is in Sierra Madre, where a ton of stuff is filmed, and the people there are lovely. I stopped hmm. by there and bugged them, <laughs> and they let me go all like down the staircase where Carpenter is, um, where he pops out and heads out the back. They let me up in their bell tower to take pictures. Super nice people. Wow. That's because they're Episcopalian. Yep. Episcopalians are good folks. Yep. What are they called? Uh, Episcopals. Thank you. <laughs> it was a very fun visit, though. I've actually been there twice. One was on like a guided tour, but I went there by myself before that happened. And man, they couldn't have been sweeter people. Yeah. I. It's interesting as I was watching because I knew that in real life it's an Episcopal church, but when I was watching, I really got the vibe that in the film they were trying to portray it as a Roman Catholic church. Did you guys get that at all? There was a little bit more uh, of Mary imagery Mm -hmm. in there. That's just because I'm a church nerd and I try to pay attention to this stuff. I think it probably helps for the common viewer ratchet up the feeling of epicness, maybe. Especially if you're in California. California is going to be more of a Roman Catholic area. If it was based in New England, it would have been more of a And they even took me uh, through the back and showed me all kinds of old photos they had of this place when it was the only thing out there in the, the, the just a field. I mean, this is an old church. That's they so were cool. really nice people. Um, yeah, fantastic movie. One of, like I said, easily in my top twenty-five, maybe even my top twenty. It's to me, it's a, a classic. Yeah, it, like I, I could sit here and I could list all the reasons why this movie should hit for me big time, but I think you just nailed the reason why it never gets over that hump for me. Especially because you like that kind of lore. Yeah. So I mean, that kind of dangles it in front of you, and you want it, and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand. I mean, it it would even fit in that category of folk horror. Yeah, too. Yep, especially from an American folk because horror. it's it's got all of that. <clears throat> the consequences of that, it just doesn't yes. give you enough of the root. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's it's just cool the way the fog leaves, and then we all think we're safe, but then they come back for the priest. And again, like so many great movies, especially from that era. It's it doesn't overstay its welcome and it's patient, like it isn't overly just drenching you in this stuff a half hour into the movie. You mm-hmm. gotta wait. They give you just enough to make it a blast, and it's not a long movie. The runtime I think was ninety minutes. It's yeah, it's, it's a another slick runtime. movie. Yeah, I have no complaints with it <clears> other than <throat> I wouldn't have minded a little bit more on the backstory, but other than that, it hits in every possible way yeah i think i think it's a really good movie i just like the feel of the whole thing 
there I'm not familiar with a whole lot of uh, lighthouse movies like that. You know what I mean? It's just a different little bit of a different flavor, but perfect in the flavor that it is. And so I I'm not even I I can see myself watching it on the 21st of April. I never have, but it really for me, it's the the weather conditions. Oh yeah, whether or not I was going to say it. I work later hours and so there'll be nights where i drive home and out of nowhere the fog's horrible and my ass puts that on the minute i get home it's like you get driving to that you're like oh i'm in the mood to watch the fog yeah i mean because there's it's a primal thing too i mean we all there's a primal fear of fog and not being able to see what's out there and all this and that and to capitalize you got danger right in front of you yeah 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 uh when you talk about lighthouse movies, this movie has way less farting than the most popular lighthouse movie that's out there. That's very true. What movie is that? <laughs> the Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. <laughs> There's a lot of farting in it. There's a lot of farting. Uh, yeah. Okay, well. <laughs> yeah, let's end on farts. <laughs> way, to, way to end on a teenage note. Any final thoughts? Uh, I recommend this to anybody. Absolutely. Yes. Casual, diehard, yes. whatever. You got to watch it. It's, it's a classic. Wrong with you. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, watch it. <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Sean. <laughs> All right. Well, wrapping up another installment of Monsterpiece Theater. I am one of your hosts, Grizzly Abner, and I've been joined by Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Benny. Stay scary.